How are you all doing today? Can we go to the word of the Lord? No matter who you are, no matter in what position in life you find yourself, economically or otherwise, life stage, no matter what your age is, no matter your status, no matter your gender or your race, if you are breathing and your heart is beating in your chest, there is something that you have to do every day whether you like it or not. A few of us like doing it. Some of us don't mind doing it, and many of us hate doing it, but we all have to do it, and it is this. Life is filled with making decisions. Decisions about your health, decisions about your finances, about your marriage, about your children, decisions about a job or within your job that you currently have, decisions about school, Decisions about a house, whether to buy, whether to sell, whether to renovate, what to do. Decisions about a vacation. I vote yes. Tahiti. Amen. Decisions about a car. Some of you are still deciding if you're going to get that Lamborghini or not, right? And on and on and on. You and I don't live a day, one day, without having to make decisions, starting with when to get out of bed and and what to wear. And for most of us, from that point on, the rest of the day, the decisions get more and more and more intense. Now, some of us are more decisive by nature than others. You may find this difficult to believe, but I tend to be rather decisive. That's my nature. Now, I am capable of walking straight into the mall, going right up to the item that we came to get, Buy it and walk straight out the door. Hallelujah. Are there any brothers with me in the house today? But it works a little different than that for Sister Pastor, okay? She's very capable of walking in and fairly quickly finding the perfect thing. I mean Perfect. It's the right size. It's the right color. It's stunning. Uh, or if it's a gift for someone else, it's exactly what they wanted down to right down to the barcode. She can go right to it. And I'm thinking, hallelujah, we found it. This is it. We're done. Let's head to the food court. That's why we're here, right? But I've learned that we're not done just because she's found the perfect thing. In fact, she's just starting the whole process. Because there might be something better someplace else. And we're talking something better than perfect, okay? Because with Becky, she wants to consider all of the options that are there. All of the options. And then we want to go back and we want to review all the options again. And then we want to talk about them so much that we get them all confused in our mind and we don't remember which one was this and which one was that. So then we want to go back and review all the options just one more time. And then we want to go home and think about it. And then we have to lose at least one night's sleep over the decision. And then we go back and start the process all over again. How many sisters are in the house with her? I was telling this to your daughter last night that I might mention that. She says, that's pretty much exactly the way it is. (laughs) Oh, decisions. Every day, every one of us have to make them. Maybe this has happened in in your house. Where do you want to eat tonight? 
Oh, I don't care. You pick. Really? Are you sure? Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter to me. It's up to you. You pick. Okay. What a burger. No. Lubies. Oh, no, 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 no. Babe's chicken? No, 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 no. Okay, then what do you want? Oh, I don't care. You pick. It's up to you. Yes, you do care. Just tell me where you want to eat. Raise your hand, married couples, if you've ever had that discussion in your house. Okay, it's not just us. That makes me feel much better. Well, those are the easy decisions. And I'm sure all of us wish it never got any harder than that, but we all know better, don't we? Parents, one of the most responsible things that you can ever do is to teach your child to make good decisions. Teach them excellence in life management. Teach them excellence in life management. And by the way, you teach them much more by your actions than by your words. I know you don't want to hear me say that, but it's true. I know what it is to have young parents sit in my office and say something like this. Pastor Dan, we've gotten our feelings hurt in the church. We tried to volunteer for something and somebody was rude to us. And so we've decided we're going to leave to go find another place to worship. And I typically will say something like this. Well, okay, I'm sorry that happened. But just be aware that you are teaching your children how you handle conflict by running away. Your children... You're teaching your children that when things don't go your way or when there's pain involved or someone is not, doesn't meet your expectations of how they should have treated you or something in a relationship is displeasing to you, the way you handle it is to cut and run. That's what you're teaching your children. And is that the lesson that you want them to learn? Or they'll say, we're getting a divorce. You're teaching your children how to handle life and how you deal with holy matrimony. You're teaching your children about the significance of covenant relationship and vows that were taken before a holy God. Decisions that affect life management, they are tough. They're really, really tough. And when the decision, regardless of its intent, is made without the wisdom of God, you have put yourself in the position of having to potentially pay a horrendous cost. One of the toughest things about parenting is letting your children understand the reality that there are consequences for bad decisions. I think most of us as parents have an internal instinct that wants to protect our children really from all pain and we even want to protect them from consequences and even the consequences of their bad decisions. I mean, I, you know, Becky and I fought this all through raising our children. You, you, you want your children things to go well with them and you want to be this big cushion for them when they land from whatever it is. None of us like to be in the position of having to engage in tough love because it it violates every loving parental instinct that we have, even when it's the only right decision that should be made and can be made in the circumstance. And when I encounter a family or a set of parents in that situation, my heart breaks for them because it's very, very, very difficult. Good decisions are not always easy. In fact, it's probably more right to say they are rarely easy. And that is why every day... In every way, we need, church, the wisdom of God. Can I get a better amen than that? In some of my regular reading this week, I once again ran across a verse in Ephesians where Paul gives us a prayer. 
It's actually a prayer he's praying, but I've latched on to it to, to make it a, a prayer that I pray over myself, over my, my family, and, and certainly over this church. He simply says, and you may want to write down the, the, uh, the reference. It's from Ephesians chapter 1. I start with verse 15. He says this, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith, Paul says, in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I've not stopped thanking God for you. And here's what he says, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. He goes on to say, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. And by the way, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the pl in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. What he's saying is, I'm asking God to give you wisdom, Ephesians. That's what he's saying. And I'm going to tell you what I'm saying. God, I'm asking you to give me wisdom. I'm asking you to give my family wisdom. I'm asking you to give Bethesda wisdom. Because church, we need the wisdom of God to navigate through the treacherous waters of this thing called life. Are you with me this morning? I have to tell you, it's just so coincidental. Um, maybe it was coincidental. You can, you can determine yourself. You know, you're always, as a pastor, and you're going to be speaking to the congregation the next morning, and my heart is always saying, Lord, what do you want me to say to the wonderful people of Bethesda? What, what would be appropriate? What's right? You know the people that are going to be there, and I just, it would be nice if you could just confirm exactly that I'm, I'm, I'm not completely off base here with what I'm going to. So yesterday, whether it was a good idea or a bad idea, I'm running in the 5K, okay? Yeah. I said I'm running in the 5K. I think I won my category, which was all pastors on staff over 60. That's the category that I won yesterday, and that's one because Vic didn't run. So anyway, because he probably would have beat me. So this 5K, it wanders all through streets kind of to the east of us here. We go back up you know, in this way, and I'm literally, as I'm, uh, as, at least as best I'm able to think anything while I'm huffing and puffing and running, I'm thinking, Lord, I just, some of the thoughts of what I wanted to share with you today were going in my mind. I said, Lord, I just, you know, just confirm to me this is what you want me to share. And I'm coming up to a street. I'm, I, I speak before the Lord. I'm telling you the truth. I come up to a street, and I see there's a street sign there, and the street sign said, Wisdom Way. So I said, okay, thank you, Lord. That's as good as a sign in the sky. I'll take it on a street sign. Absolutely. Now, this message will hit us all differently because we're not all in the same life stage. But I know that this message transcends life stage, and it transcends age and race and your education, your gender, or even your socioeconomic status because we all need the wisdom of God like never before. Is anybody with me on that today? Don't you want God to give you wisdom to navigate through life and the tough decisions we have to make today? And they seem to get tougher and tougher and tougher. That's why we sing sometimes, Lord, I need you more. I need you more than yesterday. It feels like every day, Lord, I need you more than I've ever needed you before because it's so true. And we need the wisdom of God not only so that it will go well with us, which is usually why we're asking for wisdom. But we need the wisdom of God so that also we might walk in obedience to the master. Can you give me an amen on that? Every day, in every way, making decisions that are pleasing to the Lord. 
And church, when you feel the Spirit of God begin to speak to you and you choose to ignore it or you, or you just put it off or decide to toss it off or deal with it later, I want to tell you as I'm telling myself, there's a danger that begins to take place. And I think most of us know what it is to have the Lord speak to us and have that prompting in our hearts that says, do this now. This is what you're supposed to do now. And quite often we respond with, yes, Lord, I'll, I'll do that as soon as I get home. Or I'll call him tomorrow and I'll settle that issue. And yet the truth remains, hear me, that delayed obedience is disobedience. Even as partial obedience is disobedience. How many still love me this morning? We mustn't play around with instructions from the Lord. When he gives that prompting within our hearts, however it comes to us, it may be a flash that goes through your mind, it may be an instinct, however it is that he speaks into our hearts, we do not have the prerogative of exalting our timetable over his. We don't have the prerogative of exalting our calendar over his, church. We don't get to look at his instructions and consider, that, consider them as menu options. Okay, I'll do, yes, Lord, I, I see that's good. I'll, I'll, I'll do that one. I'm, and I, yes, that would be good if I did that. I'm really not interested in that one. I, no, no. I'll do that. And we tend to look at them as menu options. And because what we'll find when we begin to do that, when we begin to take matters in our own hands, is his voice that started off so profound to us, so distinct to us, so clear to us, that voice will get softer and softer. But as we continue to choose our timetable over his, continue to do things our way rather than his, his voice will get softer and softer. Do you feel like his voice is getting softer in your, in your own heart and harder for you to hear? Then I, I have a recommendation. Go back in your mind and discover the last time that he gave you something to obey that you did not obey. It could very well be this is the way God is reminding you. He has removed his voice from you until you're willing to be obedient to the last thing he gave you. It's true, Dan, bless your heart. It is true, amen. It is a true statement to say there is a cost to pay when we don't do things God's way. I'm not trying to rhyme here. But there is a price to pay when we don't do things God's way. But wisdom is getting the mind of the Holy Spirit in whatever your situation is because he always knows what to do and he always knows what to say right now in every situation. And thank God he is able to see all that you and I cannot see. Unfortunately, our little I am tends to sulk and pout when God says do. And we must come to the point, church, of being willing to allow our I am to be shriveled up and consumed in the magnificence of the great I am. Because there is always a price to pay when we do things our own way without getting the wisdom of God. For no human being knows human beings as God does. He not only knows where we live, church, but he also knows the gutters into which we're able to crawl. So says Oswald Chambers. And here's what's incredible. In our nation today, there are about 800,000 books that come out every year, just in our own country. 40,000 periodicals are published, and yet here's our reality, church. We are drowning in information, but starving for wisdom. We are drowning in information, but starving for wisdom. You can Google anything. 
You can find out any fact that you're looking for, that you're searching for, but we are starving for wisdom. And it's not only true in the world, it's true in the church. We need the wisdom of God. I said we need the wisdom of God. Because what you choose today can go with you, and not only you, but can go with your family for generations to come. A decision of debt can take you and your family into a downward spiral for many, many, many years. A decision of divorce can wreak havoc not only on you, but on your children and your grandchildren. Quick decisions that are emotionally based, that feel good for the moment with no thought of of implications down the road for yourself or for others. Decisions not based upon the wisdom of God can put us in a very, very, very dangerous situation with an enormous cost. And there's a man in the Bible that did not understand this. And I want us to look at him this morning for just a few minutes and see if the Lord is speaking to any of us through his word. This man did not understand the importance of seeking and having the wisdom of God. And to make matters worse, he was a king. Can I just say this? It's easy to look at, at this, the understanding that this is a man, a man who was a king who made some very poor decisions and realize that you can have a title and still be dumb. How many know you can have a title and still be clueless? You may know somebody that's got a nice title. But they still don't have a clue. Well, I want us to turn to 1 Kings chapter 12. And let me show you the consequences of a decision made without the wisdom of God. And let me just say this. When we conclude this message in a few minutes, we're going to open the altars. And you maybe want to prepare your heart now to say, Lord, you, you may have already heard through what we've shared in this short period of time. Lord, I have walked in the doors today with a decision I need to make. And I need your wisdom. And I want you to know that when we get to the end of this service today, you're going to have the opportunity to let someone pray for you. Just simply to say, Lord, give them wisdom. And none of us are beyond needing it. And so that's going to come. You may want to prepare your heart for that. This man's name, this king's name was Rehoboam. He was the fourth king of Israel following Saul, David, and Solomon. And we're going to see the terrible cost of his ridiculous decision. Solomon just died. His son, Rehoboam, takes over. And the first meeting that Rehoboam has is a smart meeting. And he starts to meet with the elders. The elders begin to speak to this young man. And here's how the conversation goes, if you'll follow with me in 1 Kings chapter 12. The people had said to him, your father was a hard master, the people said to him. They're asking him, lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us, and then we will be your loyal subjects. And Rehoboam replied, okay, well, give me three days to think this over, and then come back for my answer. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam discussed the matter with the older men, the elders, who had counseled his father Solomon. And he said, what is your advice, he asked them. How should I answer these people? And the older counselors, the elders said, If you are willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. Something tells me that when he got that advice from the elders, it went against his, his personal sense of I am. But what a concept. Serve the people and they will serve you. Not be a leader and they'll serve you. Rather, be a servant and watch what happens. 
Many of you have heard me say over the years, maybe several times, one of the leadership concepts that Pastor Des taught all of us who served on staff with him through the years was one that was not popular, that I saw him be criticized over, and when he would share it with other pastors, many of them thought it was ridiculous. But Des always taught us that we lead from the bottom, that the concept of leadership in the kingdom of God is an inverted pyramid, and we lead from the bottom and not from the top. That's what servant leadership truly looks like. And I'm thankful that's what has been put into this church over the many, many years. Pick up with me at verse 8. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men and instead asked the opinion of the young men who he had grown up with. Yeah. And were now his advisors. What is your advice, he asked them. How should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burdens imposed by my father? And the young men replied, uh, This is what you should tell those complainers who want a lighter burden. Tell them this, say, My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Obviously, they were using hyperbole to express his power being greater than that of his father's. And they encouraged him to say this, Yes, My father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but look what I'm going to do. I'm going to beat you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to hear Rehoboam's decision, just as the king had ordered. But Rehoboam spoke harshly to the people, for he rejected the advice of the older counselors, and he followed the counsel of his younger advisors, and he told the people exactly what his buddies had said to tell them. My father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them worse. My father beat you with whips, but I'm going to beat you with scorpions. Rehoboam, now the king of Israel, listened not to the advice of the elders, but he listened rather to the advice of those who had grown up with him, according to verse 8. Now call that group whatever you want to call them, his brothers, his homeboys, his peeps, his posse, whatever you want to call them. Rehoboam had the privilege, hear me, of hearing elderly advice. And then he heard the advice of the dudes that he runs with. And here's what I want to say to you, church. I want you to hear me carefully this morning. You can find what you want to hear anytime you want. Did you hear me? You can find what you want to hear anytime you want. If you want wisdom, you can get it. But you will always be able to find someone who will agree with what you want to do, at least to your face, to make you feel better. Because probably they want you to agree with them the next time they need to feel better. That's their motivation. Shall I get a divorce? You can call 50 people and be assured that within that group of 50 people, you'll find some there who will agree with you and everything that you're feeling, knowing only your side of the story. You can find a church that preaches what you want to hear, that will tickle your ears and say all the things that that please you and, and make you happy and exactly what you think it ought to be. I do want you to understand that at Bethesda, we are still committed to preaching the blood of Jesus, the cross of Christ, sin, redemption, and the fact that there is power in no other name but the name of Jesus. If I'm honest with you, I couldn't care less about cultural relevance if it violates the word of God. Are you with me today? 
And yes, we understand that preaching on those things that we just mentioned is becoming passe in the church. I can't believe it. I honestly can't believe it when I see some of the things that I see. It's becoming passe. Now, hear me. I'm not saying that we're the only church. I'm just restating what our commitment is, that in a day and a time when other places are doing other things and choosing other paths, we've kept our commitment strong and sure. And you can find any message you want to find. And that's exactly what Rehoboam did. But this story is going someplace. And there's tragedy involved. And it happened like this. In 1 Kings chapter 12, the Bible then splits. And that split lasted for the next 350 years because the young king, Rehoboam, wouldn't listen to the elders, but rather he listened to his buddies. And here's what happened as a result of this lack of listening to wisdom. We know there were 12 tribes. Ten tribes become Israel and two tribes become Judah because the young king refused to listen to wisdom, to pull the people together. And so then going forward, the next 20 kings of Israel, every one of them were evil kings. Not a good one there. I, just, I took a moment to just look at a listing of the king's 20 kings that followed him yesterday. And, it, and they, not only was their name there, but a, a brief description about their, their kingship. And it went like this. Nadab, bad. Baasha, bad. Zimri, bad. Omri, it said, extra bad. Ahab, the worst. And on and on it went. And I, all I can say is, thank you, Rehoboam. You're the guy who set this in place. And then you look at Judah on the other side, and you see that with only a few exceptions, those kings weren't so hot either. Now, there were some that did okay, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, Josiah, but more than half of them, not so good. All because a young self-willed, son of Solomon, grandson of David, wouldn't make a decision based on wisdom. Dear young man in this house today, just because your daddy was wise and just because your grandpa was a man after God's own heart doesn't mean that you've got it together. You've got to make your own decisions. You've got to make up your own determination. You're going to walk with Jesus. You're going to seek the wisdom of God in everything that you say and do. You can't rely upon what your daddy and your grandpa did. You need to decide you're going to be a man of God in the process of life. Can somebody say amen to that? But Rehoboam didn't even seem to recognize wisdom when it smacked him in the face, right when it was offered to him. And he chose instead to listen to his buddies who affirmed him in his own wicked way and three and a half centuries of trouble because he would not listen to elderly advice. I don't know about you, church. I need wisdom in my life. I need God to speak to me. I can't afford to waste a year. I can't afford to waste any time at all. I can't afford to put my family into a generational downslide because of stupid decisions. Can you? That's why I'm saying, God, give us your wisdom. I want your wisdom. And when you speak, I want to do what you want. So how do we get God's wisdom? Who wants to know this morning? Number one, if you're taking notes, mark this down. Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord for his wisdom and listen to what he says. It's really complicated. Ask the Lord for wisdom and then listen to what he says and do what he says. Here's what the Bible says in James chapter 1. Verse 5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. 
He will not rebuke you for asking. When you go before the Lord, God's not going to say, oh, it's you again? Why should I give you any wisdom? Look what you've done with your life so far. Look what's happened to you. Why should I give? No, no, no. Look what James says. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you, and he will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Church, you know why Satan wants to keep you from prayer? Why he wants to keep you from praying? Because if he can keep you from prayer, he can keep you from making a wise choice. We know what his purpose is, to kill, steal, and? And so if he can keep you from praying, if he can keep you from asking God or cause you to forget, make this next decision that you have to make in life, ever how large or small it is. If he can keep you from praying, he can keep you from making wise choices that will keep you in God's way. Wisdom is connected with praying. And it says very clearly, if you need wisdom, ask God. God is so much smarter than we are, church. He has so much more journey than we do. He is the ancient of days. He knows what he's doing. He has a vantage point that we don't have, and he sees what we don't see. Think of Joseph when he was given a dream of what all was going to happen. And you remember what his, what his dream was, that people will bow down before him, and he saw the, the sheaves of the field bowing and, and, the, and saw the stars bowing down to him. What a wonderful dream. And isn't it amazing that God was smart enough to not show him how he was going to get there? I vote yes on the people bowing down to me part. I vote no on the process. Think of Joseph sitting in prison going, Man, I don't remember this part of the dream. When I had the dream, it was, you know, the sheaves were bowing down to me and the stars were, 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 were bowing down. My brothers, I don't remember this part of my brothers betraying me and, and, and throwing me in a pit and then some gal in Egypt saying that I, I, I raped her and I didn't. And then I'm thrown into prison and these guys that said they would take care of me and they would protect me and then they forgot about me. And 13 years later, the dream is finally fulfilled. But God never showed him the process because God is smarter than we are. How many of you know that if God would show you the process, you would probably turn and run in the other direction? Who's with me on that? You look back over your life today. Look over the process through which the Lord has brought you. Some of the greatest trials of your life. You are probably in a better place today because of it, but if you had known the process you would, and known it ahead of time, you probably would have opted for something completely different. When I think of this, I think about something that happened in my own life. Uh, it was about 25, 6 years ago. I was writing music, and I wrote music on something called score paper with something called a pencil. No, it was not a quill with an ink thing. No, 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 no. Some of you think that, but that's not what it was. Score paper and a pencil. It was, it was tedious. It was difficult. It was, you know, it was time-consuming and all of that. And I'll never forget the day that my dear friend, Dan Burgess, some of you remember Dan, said, called and said, hey, can I stop by the church? I want to show you something. I said, sure, come on by. He comes by and he walks in with this nice little bag about so tall, 
a dark blue bag. I'll never forget it. He plopped it on my desk, and he unzipped the top, and he pulled out one of those cute little Macintosh computers. Everybody remember those little square boxes like this with a little screen about this big? He said, this is going to change your life. And here's what he told me. I said, so what, he said, you, you can write music on this thing, and it goes like this. You get a, a, a music keyboard, like a piano keyboard, and it's, it's an electronic one, and you can plug it in this computer, and, and you just play it in, and then it'll print it out. And I went, wow. Play it in and print it out. And I couldn't imagine anything that could make my life that much better. And I mean, I bought it hook, line, and sinker. Well, here's the issue. There's a software that you had to have called Finale. One of the most complicated software programs ever known to God and man. <laughs> you had to learn algorithms. You had to learn how to meta tool and recalculate. You had just to put a dot behind a note. You had to do all. And just because you put it on the screen didn't mean it was going to print that way. Here's my reality. If I had known what that process was, I would have said, thanks, I'll stay with my score paper and my pencil. It, here's the truth. I'm telling you the truth. Literally, one year later of working with that program every day for long periods of time, I was finally able to print out something that was respectable enough to put in front of another musician. But it took an, a full year every day of learning the process. And I would get into it. I would go, this is ridiculous. so frustrating. I put that note on this line, not that line. And it would show up in a different place. And something else, something else crazy would happen. Well, they've improved it dramatically over the last millennium that I've been doing it. It's much, much better. And so I still use that program today. And I couldn't think of, of not using it. To, but I'll never forget. If he had told me what the process was going to be, I would have said, put that little computer back in that box and let's go to lunch and do something else. I would never have followed it. Here's what the Lord does. He, all God does is he shows you the end. He shows you what it's going to be. Remember, God is so much smarter than we are. Regardless of what the process is going to be, though, church, we must choose to trust his wisdom, and we can rest assured that he is leading us in the right path for us. That's why Romans 16, 27 says he is the only wise God because he knows what he's doing. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows, he knows it all and has it all within his grasp because he's got the whole world in his hands. Can you say, oh, yeah, to that? That means to say this, church, that when we pray, when we pray, pray for Stephen Evans. Say, God, Stephen Evans and the lowly team are going to go to Costa Rica next March. God doesn't go, Costa Rica? I didn't know that. That's not on my schedule. I didn't know how, how are we going to handle all of that and everything else. God knows what you're going to pray even before you pray it. When we pray, church, we're not informing God of something he doesn't know. Some people pray as though they are telling God something that he doesn't know. God knows what he's doing. He knows how he's going to fix it. He knows what the process needs to be. He knows what he's going to do in Costa Rica. At the same time, he knows what he's going to be doing in Fort Worth, Texas. That's because our God is an awesome God who reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. So the first thing we want to do is this. We're going to listen to God. If he knows the end from the beginning... If he knows what he's doing, then here's what we need to do. Listen to God. He created us. 
He knows what's going on. He knows what's best for us. And I close with this. Number two, how do you get wisdom? You listen to the people God has placed in your life. In his brilliance, God said this, that in the last days, he would use a group of people. You can read it in the book of Acts, which is reflecting the prophet Joel. He said, there are four groups of people that I'm going to use that society thinks has no value. He said, in the last days, your sons and your daughters or your children are going to prophesy. That's extreme kids from Bethesda Church. Your young men are going to see visions. That's youth from our youth ministries or from Bethesda Christian School. Your old men will dream dreams. That's those Romeo guys that meet somewhere at a restaurant on some morning. That's the value of the senior citizens in the church. And then he says this. The servants or the bond servants, those who just work regular jobs, People punching a time clock. Those people, you know what God says? I'm going to pour out my spirit on them. Now think about this group of people. I'm going to take children? What can a child tell me? I'm going to take the youth? Youth, they don't know which end is up. I'm going to take the elderly? And I'm going to take the people that work at Walmart. And I'm going to pour out my spirit upon them. And guess what? When I do, there's going to be dreams and visions and prophecy. And I'm going to use people like this in your life. It's amazing that God can use the people that we want to cast out. The people that we might easily minimize or push to the side. It's amazing the people that we will relegate and the people that we will minimize in society. What can a child tell me? If we'll truly listen to them, it's amazing how God can speak through our kids. Young people, really? They've got their own problems. What do they know? They've got these things in their ears, earbuds, you know. You can't even talk to them. But I can tell you, folks, God uses our young people in incredible ways to speak incredible truth to us. And he can use your teenager to talk to you as frightening as that proposition may seem to you. And God can use grandma and grandpa if we would just sit and listen to what God wants to say to us through them. And bond servants. It doesn't have to be someone who works in the Bass buildings downtown Fort Worth. It can be someone who works at McDonald's. And God says, I can use anybody in any job. And he tells us that he's going to take the people that we are prone to minimize. And those are the ones upon whom he's choosing to pour out his spirit. So let's just take one of those as we wrap this up today. Listening to the elderly. Anyone who knows this stuff will give you this kind of advice. You need to get somebody gray-headed in your life. Get people with white hair in your life. Now, they may have covered it up with Miss Clairol, but you can find out. You and I need to listen to people who have way more journey behind them than we do. They can tell you what to avoid, what exit not to take. They can tell you where there's a pothole. Listen to me, young person, student, college student, high school student, young adult. 
I am so convinced that the foundation of a bad decision is rooted in pride that we think we know. We think we know it all. Our vantage point is complete. And we see all the facts that are there. And we have the best judgment. And there is this innate thing within all of us that we need to prove that we are right. And that is the foundation of a bad decision. Pride. If we could just literally humble ourselves because, hear me, knowledge speaks. Wisdom listens. Let me say that again in case you missed it. Knowledge speaks, but wisdom listens. Say it with me. Knowledge. Wisdom. It's so wise just to listen and ask questions. You'd be astonished at the answers you would get if you'd just be willing to to say something like, you know, how would you handle this situation? What would you do if you were me? What has been your experience with situations like this in your journey, in your life? Look at Rehoboam. He was getting the wisdom. The elderly were starting to speak to him. But here's the problem with getting advice. I read this somewhere. The trouble with getting good advice is that it usually interferes with our plans. Can I get a witness? It usually interferes with what we want to do and probably what we plan to go ahead and do anyway. Our self-willed nature demands of us to go ahead and do that which pleases us, which we've already decided to do it regardless. And that, church, is the number one reason why we don't seek advice in our decision-making. Many times we know what we're supposed to do, but we'll Rehoboam the decision. You know what? I need people in my life who can say, Dan, no, that's not a good decision. Thank God there are people who care more about my well-being than they do being popular with me, and they're willing to say, Dan, no. And I'm looking at you this morning, and I'm saying, who do you have in your life that is willing to look straight at you and say, no, that's not a good decision, and you will take it, and you will listen to it. Time after time after time, people sit in my office And I can tell they're rejecting everything I have to say. And I usually say, okay, then who will you listen to? Whose voice is alive in your ear? Whose voice will have enough weight and carry enough power in your that you will listen to them? If it's not me, fine, I understand that. Then whose voice will you listen to? And I'm praying for Bethesda today, even as I'm praying for wisdom for myself, my family, and for this church, that God give every one of us someone who can look at us and tell us when we're making a bad decision. Is there a gray-haired person in your life that you'll respect, that you'll allow them to speak a word of wisdom? That is exactly why I am so passionate about Bethesda being a multi-generational church. Generations, we need each other. The younger need the older, and the older need the younger. But Rehoboam listened to the buddies he'd grown up with, who had no more life journey than he had. And he totally disregarded the words of wisdom that came from the elders, and that decision divided Israel for 350 years. One wrong decision. One wrong decision, ignoring the voice of wisdom. And the price was paid 
in the next 350 years of chaos. Lord Jesus, give us wisdom. And it all starts with the fear of the Lord. That's where it begins. Bow your heads with me in prayer, please.